0: assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the muslim vibe podcast ramadan kareem to you and your family inshallah ramadan is going well for you you're benefiting spiritually and that's kind of what we talk about today we're going to be talking about a spiritual diet things that we should do when it comes to our food and our relationship with food that can inshallah build a better and stronger connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and of course Ramadan being a month of spirituality but also a month of food coming together breaking fasts um, having suhur iftar all of that and I wanted to really see you know what the correlation is between these two things and how essentially we could have a spiritual diet in this Ramadan. I'm joined by Zain Ali Panjwani, who is an osteopath. Um, He's a holistic health practitioner and Sheikh Jafar Ladakh, who is an Islamic scholar and resident alim of a mosque in Leeds, UK. And they've recently been working on a book project uh, which translates and adds commentary to the work of Ayatollah Taqi Madarasi a very senior scholar uh, in the middle east who's done this fantastic work looking at the islamic sources um, hadith and sunnah of the holy prophet and his family and essentially how we can incorporate those values into our modern lives and in one, one of the chapters of this book he speaks about food and diet and that's essentially What Zain Ali and Sheikh Jafar Ladakh have worked on that specific chapter And translated that out into a book by itself called A Pure Life Without further ado, let's jump straight into this podcast Bismillah Assalamu alaikum Zain Ali and Assalamu alaikum Sheikh Jafar Ramadan Kareem to you both
1: Wa alaykum Ramadan Mubarak to you and to all the viewers
0: We're doing this across three different time zones So Zain Ali is in Dubai you're in Leeds, the UK. Um, I'm out here in California, but Hamza managed to make the, the schedules align. Zain what time is it over there for you right
2: now? We are 9.20 right now.
0: Okay, not PM. too bad, not too bad, not too yeah, bad.
2: Yeah.
0: I'm actually recording another podcast later and the, the poor guy is going to be 11pm uh, for him. Hopefully he's not too tired. <laughs> um, guys, so we're, we're in the, the month of Ramadan. Um. And uh, what's interesting about this month for me is that there's two, um, there's two aspects of this month. So you've got the spirituality, of course, that, that Ramadan brings with itself and uh, that we focus on. Um, but then there's this uh, element of food um, that comes about in Ramadan, right? When, when we're eating food for Suhoor and Iftar, going out, inviting people over to our houses. Um, so it's an interesting kind of juxtaposition where you have, um, obviously, spiritual- spirituality, and then you have food, which sometimes, um, you know, I mean, obviously we know there's benefits to food and we need it to survive and stuff, but then sometimes there's, a, there's an area where it can become a bit too indulgent. Um, and I say this as a, as a, as a intense meat lover and, and steak guy. Um, so I wanted to know, like, um, and I've always been kind of like uh, fascinated by, uh, by this, uh, the concept of uh, spirituality and food and whether there is a connection. Um, so that's, that's yeah, if you could answer that And if you could tell me what if you think there is a connection between food and spirituality
1: Bismillah al rahman rahim You know, um, all of the faith-based traditions They have an existential link between food and spirituality And you can actually contrast that Against the way in which food seems to be consumed In our own um, cultures and civilizations So if you look at it from the Islamic perspective, the Qur'an talks about a hierarchy of food. There is that which is halal and that which is tayyib. And what's really interesting is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, the believers, that we're supposed to be able to eat tayyib like the prophets ate tayyib. That we can eat halal, but actually there is a deeper level of spirituality in food. What's really interesting is that this sort of idea is shared across the various different faiths there's a tradition in the um, buddhist culture that when you had buddhist monks training in their seminaries they would choose the most spiritual person to be the chef
2: Mm. because
1: they understood that the the intention by which the chef was cooking the choices that that person made whilst they were cooking would have an impact on the food that all of them were consuming Mm. This is actually shared across all of these different traditions. Contrast that then against sort of the, the fast food diet, the fast food lifestyle. And I can only speak from a Western perspective, but we've reduced food to what I would arguably say is three things. Number one, the cheapest food that we can get invariably. Number two, we want it to be delivered as quickly as possible. And number three, we want it to be tasting as good as possible. Now, of Mm -hmm. course, as food lovers, taste is important. But from the spiritual perspective, there are far more important things to us eating food. And I think what your question is aiming at is exposing the idea of what is actually um, sacred in food and um, not just kind of the reductionist, materialist understanding of food that we've come to kind of um, um, see in in, in our social media feeds and, and the way in which we've been brought up through advertising.
0: That's interesting because, like, one of the things that, and we, and we say this in even our, our culture, like South Asian culture, which is that, like, um, uh, th- th- there's a phrase for an order, but it's like you know, like your mother's cooking, for example, like they're cooking with love, right? And like being able to taste that, that, that you know, that love inside the food, you know, and and you genuinely can tell the difference. Like you can tell the difference between like uh, a fish burger being prepared by like a miserable, you know worker behind a counter Wait, in
1: there. <laughs> and i said mom up at like exactly
0: the, and it, exactly the, so, yeah you feel that love you feel that love right <laughs> um and, and 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 whether i don't know whether you call that like the barakah in the food or, or, or how you would phrase that in like islamic terminology uh but it makes a really really big difference even in like kind of like uh choices that we make um you know uh when we do go out to restaurants and stuff, right? Like you can taste the quality, like it's, it's not even quality. Quality sounds like, you know, you're talking about like the finest ingredients. I'm talking about like, mm. if you go to like a restaurant where the chef is actually like passionate about what they're doing, you can taste that. Like you can you can feel that this guy has thought about um, the ingredients that they're using versus just like, hey, look, we've been given this manual of ingredients to include and we're gonna just whip it together and, and present it to you, you know? You can taste yeah. that difference.
1: Completely. As Muslims, we believe in the seen world and the unseen world, and the unseen world is surrounding us at all times with the angels and everything else. So when a person kind of discharges that, 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 that love and that passion into what they're doing, that good intention, that mm. purity moves in between the two worlds, that one we exist in and the second one is actually encapsulating us. We forget these essentials when it comes to uh, our faith in relation to food.
0: So, what would be a diet? So, Zainal, you wanted, to, you wanted to say something there.
2: Yeah, no, I was just going to mention it. When you were talking about this, this, give a little bit of an analogy. I was trying to wrap my head around this whole concept of how can um, food that's made physically the same have such a possible spiritual impact. And uh, when I was studying, I remember one person was telling me that if you use your stethoscope and you're listening to the heartbeat you can hear the heartbeat through the stethoscope. If you had a tool that could hear that heartbeat away from the body, and if it was really attuned and, a, and you know fine-tuned, you could hear it maybe miles away, maybe meters away, I should say, not miles away, maybe miles away if you had the best tool. So when I think about energies and waves that pass through us, surely those energies and those waves are also passing through the atoms of the food itself. Mm. So depending mm. potentially on your, your energy, your mindset, it could have a, a tremendous impact and just even people who are stressed out we know their heart beats faster we know that their chemicals in their brain change you know what's happening to the food then when you're cutting it when you're making it what kind of energies mm. are going into it mm. possibly just i thought about that when i was trying to think about these connections between the two mm.
0: it's interesting as well like um when when the pandemic started um and uh, the uncles and aunties took to WhatsApp with their their remedies. <laughs> um, I remember my father; he messaged me and he said, "You know, eat onion, All right, Just, just straight up, just eat onion and sniff steam." Okay. Um, so I was in I was in Asda, um, and and I picked up an onion, and I was like, "You know what? If I purchase this onion and eat it with the intention that I am obeying my father's." recommendation that he sent me based on love right and and like genuine like care Right? surely Allah will protect me through this onion right like the energy like we're talking about like transferring through it okay like it was my own personal belief that actually I we, we can make this happen right like we're talking about this kind of like these energies moving around like he messaged me with love then I purchased this onion with love I eat it with love and then surely the only thing that can happen from this onion is goodness right you know alhamdulillah uh, two years into the pandemic, I haven't got COVID yet.
1: see, bro, the reason why you didn't get pandemic is we're munching on onions, your breath stinks, no one wants to
0: clean. <laughs> <laughs> COVID, COVID was like me, know. where I'm not
1: into this. Yeah, yeah. He's got the cure. Prevention is better than the cure, right? Prevention is better than cure.
2: Um.
0: So guys, what, you know, so you, so you've written this book, um, and we're going to talk about this book in a bit more uh, detail later. Um, what would you consider c- consists, uh, you know, uh, a spiritual diet? What makes a spiritual diet, and how can we use food to uh, enhance our connection with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala?
2: yes yeah, so I like this spiritual diet I love the word spiritual diet thanks for bringing that up because it's holistic it's wholesome it incorporates everything around food that's not just the food itself right so we think of diet and the word diet is thrown around like nobody's business right you got vegan you got paleo you got vegetarian you got pescatarian. I don't know what else there is out there but the concept of diet brings a connotation of a specific strictness or a specific Type, right? But when you say spiritual diet, it sort of encompasses even things like who you're around. Like we were just talking about the energies. It encompasses maybe the way you sit and eat your food. It encompasses your mindset when you get the food. Are you grateful? Are you thankful? We say, Alhamdulillah. You know, we, we thank God for this food that we have. Um, It incorporates then your appreciation of where the food comes from, the source, the ingredients, how it was made, right? When you put all these ingredients together and then you get the food on your table, which brings about a a kind of a sense, at least for me anyway, when I started thinking about this, it really shifted things. It brings about an appreciation of the quality that goes into the, the whole process of getting the food onto your plate and how it, how the processes that take place from picking it, sourcing it, farming it, cutting it, cooking it, and then preparing it, even in a nice design on your table when you're about to eat it. And you suddenly stop that po- at that point, and you appreciate thankfulness comes in, and you say, wow, I'm really getting something mm-hmm. that's going to nourish my body. Now, if you even move that even More forward, and you start thinking about the chemical reactions that take place inside of you after you've eaten them from the point of your mouth and chewing and the acids that get produced and the enzymes and all of the the rest of it to the point of where you get your energy, where you get your detoxification of your body, where you get your focus and mentality from these foods. You think, wow, when I'm choosing a diet now, I need to choose a diet that not only helps the source i the earth the world the planet the people who farm it all the way to helping my own body and being grateful for the body i have mm-hmm. and so without even talking about diet a kfc or a sorry maybe other let's keep that out mm-hmm. um a, a fried chicken a fried chicken or chips or pizza suddenly becomes you look at it and you suddenly go how has it been sourced? How has it been prepared? Where is it coming into my diet? And what kind of benefits Mm. is it going to give to me? And suddenly your mind shifts and you start Mm. thinking, this is probably not the best thing for me to have, right? Um, And that's a spiritual diet. You're you're thinking about all the concepts around food and food production, um, all the way to your palate. So, yeah, I love that. I love that. Those words, spiritual diet, I think it encompasses a lot. Um, and it makes you focus on the wholeness of the food, which actually is the reality of what we should be eating in terms of food. We should be going for whole food as co- as mm. close to the source as possible. The more it's processed, the 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 more we should stay away from
1: from that.
0: Jaffa, like did you want to add anything to that?
1: So I think I mean, it's such a holistic answer. Um, what we try to do in the book, it, it's a translation of a work by a really senior scholar in the Islamic world, um, Ayatollah Sayyid Muhammad Taqi Al-Madarasi. And so um, a person who spent their life committed to the Islamic tradition have insights that are, with greatest respect to someone like me, it's far beyond what I would be capable of um, extrapolating from our uh, sources, the Qur'an and Sunnah of the Prophet What he does is, he goes back into the Qur'an as an example, and he shows us that actually in the Qur'an there is even an order, uh, um, a sequence, by which we're supposed to partake in a meal. So that he's just talked about the source of the food, our sitting position. The sunnah even goes as, as detailed as the order of the things that you're supposed to do in a meal. So he mentions, mm-hmm. for example, in um, Surah al waqia chapter 56 of the Qur'an, that there's a sequence of verses where you see that the uh, Ashab al-Jannah, the people of Paradise, they are actually given foods to eat. And the Qur'an details the order of the meal. The question of how to be able to deepen our connection with food, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is something that we try to explore uh, in great detail or capture in great detail in this work. And I think it's um, a a unique effort that has come out in, in the Islamic tradition. A
0: popular question uh, people would have with, um, you know, like when it comes to food and spirituality is Are there like any recommended foods that we know in the Quran and Hadith?
2: So, there, you know, whenever I think about these questions, um, We've heard of things like honey and and pomegranates in the Quran. We've heard about these common foods, these herbs and spices that I mentioned, a variety of herbs and spices, or specifics when it comes to onions and cucumbers, and you know the the, the stories that are in the Quran. Um, but are they specifically recommended? Um, I I would say potentially n- they're all recommended. Anything that comes as a wholesome food from the earth that has good nutrients for our body, depending on your area that you live in, right, you'll get source of different foods. So you may not have cucumbers or you may not have good sources of honey. You know, in, in different countries I have we have here, like I was in, in Dubai, I was um, shopping around for honey and they've got Yemeni honey and they've got like... Um, African honey, all kinds of different forms, different sources, all have their own benefits. So I don't think necessarily that we, we should be thinking there are specific types of foods necessarily, but more focused on the fact that it looks like to me, and Sheikh Jaffa will be able to maybe add to this, it looks like to me that the general principles, the general overview from an Islamic tradition is to focus on whole food, plant-rich it seems, and focus on source of food as well. And this is a good uh, starting point for our, for our body mm-hmm. to stay healthy and well. And all of these other foods have benefits and I'm sure there's, and I, I do see, I've, I've talked to many people about the research that's going on with honey. I remember a friend of mine who was studying uh, nursing actually, and he's saying that they are actually finding plasters uh, for deep wounds where they use honey to, to help it to heal. Um, we know that when you have raw honey with certain things like black pepper and turmeric they have really improvements in your immune immune cells and immunity and there are research on this like turmeric and and honey and things like that I've got loads of research but within the scientific field we can keep going right we can keep opening up new research and you can probably find new foods and if the focus was on I don't know, black pepper, or if the focus was on our spice, we may even find new things of those foods that help our body in different pathways. We're constantly opening up different worlds uh, when it comes to, the, to, to this science and research. Um, so yeah, I would say maybe there isn't necessarily a recommendation, um, but more of a principle approach. And maybe certain mm. foods that I mentioned have a similarity to foods that you have in the area that you live in.
1: So it, it's really Jaffa, Did you want to add anything to that? Yeah. It? Thank you. So it's really interesting how we might approach this. We have so many hadith that tell us eat this at this particular time, or eat this and you have um, a cure for this particular, um, you know, illness or ailment. So, for example, in one famous hadith um, attributed to Imam Ja'far al Ali his Salam, he said, "Had people realized what is in apples." They would not cure their ailments except by them. They are the fastest thing mm. to benefit the heart in specific. Or, for example, another hadith, you know, eat spring onions for there is no morning without it being dropped from paradise itself. So in, immediately we have the, the question as to how authentic these narrations are. We also have the issue of how specific these narrations are. And then the third one, I think he's really highlighted quite well, that, are, are, you know, are these ahadith only focused on these particular uh, fruits and vegetables or, you know, whole foods? Or are they the things that are being alluded to as part of a good diet? What's really important to remember is that when the, the Prophet ﷺ and Ahlul Bayt وسلم, are speaking about these foods, they're in a context where they are living close to the earth they are really living a very natural life right mm. prophet has a famous hadith um, where he says you know no prophet has been raised but that they have been shepherds and in the hadith it continues that he goes with his companions and he's picking berries and the companions are shocked they say ya how do you know which ones are good berries to eat which ones are the recommended for this kind of ailment and he says no profit has been uh, raised, but that they've been um, shepherds. That we live a very natural life. The problem we have today is that even if I suggest to someone eat an apple, as Zainali will talk about, I'm sure, um, you know, the the amount of um, the amount of pesticides that are going in, there, the amount of chemicals, or how they're being picked just because they look a certain way or shaped a certain way, and as a result of that millions of tons of apples are going wasted because they're of a slightly different shape the whole way in which we're understanding the prophetic tradition has to be rooted in what is wholesome what is pure first and foremost before we then apply it into some of the literalistic ways in which we're seeing many people advocate for it today what we have to realize is that we're not living a very natural lifestyle today. Everything is mass produced, everything is produced through chemicals, everything is being produced in a way in which um, it's 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 being uh, what's the word I want to use? It's 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 all about advertising and maximizing profits. That immediately takes away the idea, the tayyib idea of it. It makes mm-hmm. uh, but you cannot any longer really say that it's tayyib. Zainali is pointing to something more fundamental. That when you look at these um, ahadith, go back to the idea of them being qayyib. And the Prophet's recommendations are these are the things that were pure at that time and try to find your own sources of food in exactly the same way, even if you don't match it like for like as per the ahadith.
0: Like one of the um, things, you know, like when I moved to uh, America, um, naturally like, coming from the UK you're a bit nervous about like the amount of pesticides that are used here like you know hormones being injected into every animal and uh antibiotics and all this kind of stuff right and obviously with like uh, a young daughter as well like you're extra mindful about what goes into them right? right um especially like from this kind of like spiritual kind of perspective as to like you know what the essence of this thing is um and so California in particular which I'm sure you you know like there's a lot of, like, uh, conversation here about diet and health and, like, you know, fads and all this kind of stuff, right? They're a bit more conscious, yeah. let's say. Um, and, and you, ha- you know, like, w- one of the decisions, like, we had to make when we were moving here was, okay, we're going to have to buy organic. Like, yeah, it's a premium, but, like, you, you kind of have to. You know what I mean? Like, as in what, what else are you going to do? You're not going to have, like, milk that's come from a cow that's, like, being injected with, like, antibiotics and, like, you know, raised just like, in, 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 a sh- in shackles, literally, just to produce milk, right? Um, and one of the things that, like, I, I really loved uh, when I came here was seeing the effort that my uh, my father-in-law, and mother-in-law, go uh, to getting ingredients and stuff. So everything's organic, pretty much. Um, <clears throat> but even like the meat, um, and, and and sometimes it's like it's a bit it's a bit annoying because you're like, oh god, like, okay, fine, we run out of meat, but now we have to wait for them to go to somewhere really far away to get it. But they go to a ranch, like it's it's a, it's a dude like has his own farm, right? His name is Satarbai. Like he's he's a he's a bit of an OG in SoCal. Like every Muslim knows him. Um, so he's got a ranch. Um, and and like basically, it's like that closeness that you have with the food, right? Like you you know you know the guy that's running the farm. You know, there's that trust that you have that he's raising his animals a certain way he's slaughtering them in you know like purely in line with like uh islamic values and stuff um and it's organic you know and and you do feel that sense of like even if even if it is like you know um like a placebo right even if it is like you know you know if someone wants to wait you know measure all this stuff in a scientific lab and be like oh look all the nutrients are the same it's that feeling, right? It's like that sense of like, okay, this, you know, the effort that's been gone, even just by my in-laws going, uh, you know, driving two and a half hours just to get the meat. You feel that kind of like value now, right? Like, as in, it's not like it's just around the corner and you just picked it up from Asda. Although I do miss Asda and being able to do that. Um, But, you know, like that extra effort, I think makes a big difference. Um, And I think, I think what you said, I think essentially the conclusion about like recommended foods is more about, the, the process in which we acquire and consume food is perhaps more important than the, the item itself.
2: Yeah. And you know, you just mentioned something there about like micro, we go very micro into the nutrient profile, let's say of like what's in this um, product and this product is exactly the same. Um, but this concept of spiritual diet which you mentioned right it's not even looking at the micro it's really looking at macros looking at how everything works as an integrated system and we sit inside of that system so it's not only about how much vitamin you're getting inside of it or you know this level but it's about how it's all produced and that makes it what we call in literature bioavailable it makes it more bioavailable for your body to digest and consume so you can kind of for example take a supplement of vitamin or some vitamin that might not necessarily be bioavailable for you it might just go straight through you right Mm. whereas the source of food and that whole journey of going to get it um, first of all allows you to not eat meat so often as well (laughs) because you have to go and get it and source it um so you're sticking to a more plant-rich diet because you have to but also when you go through that journey, you meet the person, you see how they're farming, you see how ethical it is, how they take care of the actual uh, animal and hug it and you know, give it water and really treat it nicely. You feel mm. that it's going to impact you in some way, yeah. Even, if, yeah. even if you know that when you're about to eat the food, because you're thinking about that guy. What was his name mm. again?
0: Satar,
1: boy.
2: Set, of course, Satarba. You're thinking of Satarba. Sheikh oh, like, Sheikh is thinking about like so I many Sataras but...
1: man, Passive, He would have been ideal. Yeah, I want. Yeah,
0: I want to do a video about his farm because honestly, like he's actually like a legend in SoCal. Like, because um, he's been a, like one of the leading like suppliers of a halal meat and stuff for like a long, long time. So like pretty much like a lot of people know him. Um, so I do actually want to go and do like, you know, a life, in the, a day in the life of a, of a farmer because that, that's epic, man, like having a ranch. Like that's that's, that's gold You know,
2: that, that's one thing you, I think you should definitely do because part of it is not knowing what happens. Mm. You know, the first time I saw factory farming, I was like, seriously, is this what's actually going on? I didn't know mm. it. And then mm. Sheikh Jaffa has got like a, he was mentioning a thing in, in the book that we have about, you know, the way that the chickens are put on top of each other in a truck, and when one of them dies, they just basically shimmy across and stand on them, right? Mm. That's how it's transported. And mm. I, he mentions about, you know, when I was talking to him about this, you can't stomach it anymore, right? No. You think about it, it's like, uh but when no, you like, go to you, the you ranch, can, you, can even,
0: you can even like, uh, you know, like um, with chicken, especially with chicken, like you can actually like tell sometimes very clearly, like when this animal not been treated well. So like a typical tell uh, a telltale sign is, you know, when the chicken leg is just broken. It's just like yeah. straight up snapped. Yeah. And, and basically the reason why that happens is because the chicken's been like stuffed with hormones to like get really, really big and fat really, really quickly. Um, the bone hasn't had time to even develop to like support that weight. And also the chicken's not been allowed to go anywhere. So it's like literally just standing there, like growing in a spot, basically, waiting to be killed. And 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 you and you see it, man. Like sometimes you get these giant leg pieces, and it's like, whoa, look at that big leg piece. But like the bone's broken, and you're like, uh God! I don't really want to eat this now because you can, you know like the background story behind it, you know.
1: And actually, you can um, pick up on these cues. Mm. It's really interesting because when you go to you know you go to any um, supermarket, you pick up the labeling, and, and you see how they mm. have to advertise to you that there's vitamins in it, or or it's good for you. Mm. It's one, it's one of your five or whatever it is. Why why does the industry have to advertise to you that this is good for you? Because everything else is so shockingly bad for you.
0: Bad, yeah. Living
1: yeah. Living, yeah. Living that's, that's, living. I've never thought about it from that, that perspective. perspective. <laughs> it's what a bit of yeah, me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
0: Really,
1: and we're we're completely being played here. I mean, the, the, the advertising mm, is, yeah. is, is supreme. That they make us think that these things are good without realizing mm. how terrible everything else is. But actually all you're doing is pointing to the whole the whole system. Now what's really interesting is in the Islamic traditions. Is actually a narration that says that animals, because they're conscious beings, I mean, everything glorifies God, right? afis wa mm. Everything in creation is glorifying Allah. Just because we don't realize how conscious they are, doesn't mean that they're not conscious. And according to one narration, mm. when an animal is being prepared for slaughter in a halal way, it is actually thankful to god that it actually fulfills its purpose of becoming mm. energy for a believer helping a believer in their worship oh, yeah. in their in their education in their in their participation in society so the animal is not just halal in terms of it being zabihah it's tayyib in that it itself is submitting itself to being slaughtered so that it can be eaten by people and do good in its it was it was created for a purpose it's truly fulfilling its purpose imagine mm-hmm. that meal going into your body and then you standing up for your salah or you performing your psalm or whatever it may be you feeding your your daughter we could actually change huge parts of the world by just changing our diet because as saying that he shows in the book that there's a direct relationship between even things like our emotional states, how angry we get, or how we're able to control ourselves better. When we talk about controlling our anger, controlling our eyes, controlling our tongue, actually a lot of what's causing the sins is the food that we're putting into ourselves. You are what you eat, as the famous saying goes. All of this talks to a wider philosophy um, that we're completely missing out on in our lives.
0: Yeah. You know, with having a, a little one, um, we've had some interesting conversations around like meat meat consumption, right? Yeah. So she, she's grown up, she, she knows what fish is, right? And for her, her first kind of engagement with fish was, it's yummy, all right? So, a little funny story, I took her to a pond one day and uh, I'm like, oh, here, to look, fish. And she goes, mmm, yummy. <laughs> and I was like, that was not the reaction I was expecting. Um, but even like, wow. even like, um, even at the other day, like it kind of occurred to her cause we took her to a farm. Right. And she saw chickens and, you know, she watches cartoons and they have animals in it and stuff like that. And, um, uh, you know, she, she, she was, she was eating chicken that day as well. And so she goes to me, Baba, what is, is, was this, is this chicken alive? And I was like, oh, okay, well, we're going to have to have this like awkward conversation, but it wasn't that awkward actually. Cause you know, when they, when they, when they're fresh canvas, like it's, you know, you can easily explain things to them. Um, And I told her, no, look, like the chicken was alive at one point. um, But then it got killed. um, And, and, you know, we took the skin off and and now we're eating it. Um, And I said that, uh, I told her like, you know, Allah created these animals for us to consume. Okay. That's why we say thank you to Allah after we eat. Um, And and you could see like she was like processing this idea. Right. But I felt like it was really important. Like, I know she's only like three and and maybe I gave her a nightmare that night. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) no, but like. She, she, you can see that she processed that thing. Like, okay, hold on a second. This is not just some like... Don't just like eat it and not think about it kind of thing. You know? I w- like It's good for her to be conscious of it. Like know where your milk is coming from. It comes from cows. And we took it to the farm and she was milking the cow. And she understood that whole process. You know what I mean? Um, and I think, you know, like... I think one of the interesting things is... is I remember watching um, uh, a YouTube video a while back. And I think it was during like the Black Lives Matter protests. And... Um, I think uh, he's an activist and rapper. His name is Big Mike, and he said something very, very interesting. Um, he said, "If you're, if you cannot live off the land by yourself, take the word revolution out of your mouth. Like you're not prepared to have a revolution if you're not prepared to like hunt and cook your own food. Like you're not because you're too dependent on the system around us. So you, they cannot, you cannot survive without it." And it really, really got me thinking, um, and I know it's a slight abstraction from what we're talking about, but like, it got me thinking about how prepared are we to actually be like, you know, to go and kill an animal ourselves and eat it, you know, a lot of people would squirm at the idea. Okay. Um, I would like to believe that I'll be okay. Um, but then again, like if I cut my finger, I start getting a bit faint, um, so I don't know, but like I think it's I think it's an important uh, thing for everyone to consider when it comes to like food consumption. Like, are we prepared to do what do it takes
1: to get it, that onto our uh, table? In The Hajj process, one of the acts, the rights that we have, to yeah, is actually the the sacrifice of an animal, which represents the sacrifice that Ibrahim alayhi salam was willing to make with Ismail alayhi salam. But going to to the point that you're making, even though we don't have to do it personally there is an encouragement to do it personally because you, unless you're cold-hearted, you go there and you just kind of, but actually what you do is you take a step back and you realize that you are part of this wider process, this economy, this food economy, and that I'm, I am I have to do this so that someone else down the line will benefit because I have to give this as, as charity for them to be able to eat. So you're actually slaughtering him. Mm. You have to do that. As part of the process in realising that you are no longer disconnected from nature And nor are you disconnected from everybody else in the Ummah These are the reasons mm. the behind these acts And we're supposed to bring those into our, our real world
2: And I guess, um, Shay Jafra, you can maybe add to this as well But the, it's about being conscious, right? It's a conscious lifestyle, conscious living And I remember when we moved to Birmingham Um, the first thing I told my wife was, look, we're going to try and do a vegetable patch. And it just completely failed the first time. I put all these seeds in, everything. And that process of becoming conscious, you you know, you took your daughter to milk the cow or, you know, in that Hajj pilgrimage, you go and watch it. Everyone's got different skill sets. Obviously, maybe we're not good at cutting animal, but being aware of what it feels like, what it looks like, being aware of milking the cow, being aware of how much it takes for that, seed to grow how much Mm -hmm. you need to take care of it (laughs) so I wanted to try and get it right from the seed up and just knowing that I put 20 in there maybe one came up just imagine the farmer who's constantly you know tending to his farm you know it takes effort and when you become conscious like that you, you realize you can't just go to the supermarket and grab something without realizing whoa where's it coming from You know, we have... um, Sorry, just to add to this, you know, we have this mindful eating practice. I think I mentioned it, we've mentioned it in the book as well. The idea of becoming more mindful um, for your own mental health as well. So they have this um, task where you take a raisin and you you smell it and you feel the raisin, the texture of the raisin. You kind of think where it came from, how it was dried. And then you put it into your mouth and you take that first bite. You know, this whole process of mindfulness also apparently in some places in the research, suggests that actually the nutrients that get released are a lot more. Your preparedness mm. for digestion is a lot more because you're mm. readying everything to get ready mm. rather than you just grab and go. You know, We have a grab and go kind of mentality. It's, it's there. Let's grab it, eat it, and, and yeah. let's go instead of actually paying attention. So this consciousness that you, know, you tapped into just now, even your daughter being aware of where it all came from, We've all had it, right? We've all been there saying, oh, that chicken, was it alive one day? I mean, just becoming conscious of it, it makes a huge difference. And she's seeing it from a farm. Can you add
1: to that and talk about how you, yeah. in the book, the, how when you're not conscious of what you're eating, the effects are. So, for example, what happens when you're watching TV and you're eating? Yeah. Watching your phone and yeah. eating. Can you, can you mention that?
2: Yeah, sure. So there is, this is actually a Birmingham study. So Birmingham University did a study on a really good one as a randomized control trial as well, where they put people eating and watching TV, and then eating on a table or, or, you know, with other people. And what they found was when you're watching TV, there is a hormone in your body, leptin, which basically gives you a signal whether you're full or whether you're still hungry. And apparently what happens is your leptin hormone doesn't actually get released enough to tell you that you're full at least twenty minutes after you have turned off the the mobile phone or the screen, um, probably because your men, your mind is working on a different frequency or using a lot more of the frontal cortex, for example, and you're not stimulating this hormone. So you can imagine I put the example of going to the cinema and you finish this whole bag of popcorn, and then it's only. 20 minutes probably after where you go, oh, man, why did I eat all of that? So the impact of kind of your emotional state and also what you're doing when you're eating mm. can, you know, have such a big impact chemically. You know, leptin is one, one hormone. But there are other things, serotonin being released, which is our kind of happiness molecule in your brain. Right. So you can you can imagine you're watching TV, you can constantly snack all the time. And they've linked that to obesity. They link that to uh, in, insulin resistance as well, because the sugar levels are going up and down. Diabetes, lots of things just because of the environment know, that you choose. It doesn't know you're
1: full eat. when you're full, basically. Is that mm-hmm. right? Your own body-
2: basic. Yeah. Your own body doesn't give you the signal. And actually now we've actually come up with, uh, uh, there's more information now that you don't only get insulin resistance. You also get what we call leptin resistance, which is exactly that hormone I was talking to you about. So you don't actually get the chemical signals to tell you that your body is full or not. And the example we give is you're in the car and you see your fuel gauge or your fuel meter. You go to the petrol station, you filled up a full tank and you're still showing zero. And you're thinking, well, your body doesn't even know that it's on. You've actually got a full tank and your body doesn't even know that. So you just keep
1: that's filling
0: crazy. It.
1: And then, That's crazy. Hey, that's, that's
0: actually really, really crazy. Because
1: prophet, there's so many... Prophet where he says, you know, eat one third, drink one third and leave one third for space. Whereas mm. what we're doing is we're getting a massive meal and we're just watching a TV show whilst eating it. And we don't know we're full. And that's why we keep eating eating and eating. Mm.
2: And you know, it begs the question, we talked about the fact that, you know, uh, advertising and and nutrient density, all this other stuff that we talked about, it begs the question that is it it the person's fault that they can't actually signal their body that they're full, right? Years and years of being fed a certain food, a certain diet, you know, a certain lifestyle, you, you get switched off essentially. And now to turn that back around, needs a whole shift at first a conscious shift and then slowly slowly making that change so it's it's not their fault sometimes when you you know we tell people that you know you're overweight and you know you're not you have to calm down in your eating habits they're actually not getting the signal right and if they're not Mm -hmm. getting the signal Mm -hmm. that has to shift first right so it's really interesting especially when we do like coaching and health coaching we have to think about these things
0: what struck me is that um There's a lot of parents and, and, you know, hands up. We do it too. Like during mealtime for children, you kind of whack on the cartoons, right? Mm. Um, The intention, of course, is to keep them focused in one place so that they finish their meal, right? You know, the the intention is to kind of make sure that they're they're getting enough food inside their system. Mm. Um, I'll be be real. I've never been a big fan of it myself. Um, It's not my department. Um, And you know for me but the fact that you're saying that it doesn't allow one to regulate essentially how much they're consuming or not consuming or perhaps even like it makes you you're losing consciousness of of the whole process of eating food right i mean we just discussed like the kind of root of like a spiritual diet really is about the consciousness of the whole process from where the yeah. foods come to the point of like actually eating it and even like afterwards saying thank you to allah if you're lost in that moment just because it's like you know a situation of of let's get these nutrients in and and and, and get going um then then well during that meal time there, there's no consciousness and, and that that could be a big problem um that's that's something really, really uh insightful um i didn't know that that yeah. I'll, I'll be interested to kind of learn more about that uh that research actually um yeah no. bring me to my next point actually um between like these like Islamic recommendation uh, recommended acts of eating and stuff like that, um, and science, is is there any more um, like interesting correlations that you found during your research?
2: Sheikh Jaffa, there's that I you might know it by heart that hadith from Imam al that we have put in the book as well the diet one.
1: Uh, do you know yeah, it? fully? So he says the the, the the fountainhead of all diet control is. How much you eat? The fountainhead of all good health is the diet control of how much you eat. So if we, yeah, yeah sorry, ahead. just basically that the more you fill your stomach. See, we're used to having. You know, you go to a restaurant, they give you a five-course meal, and you value how much you value the restaurant. On you sit in there, going, "Oof, man, I'm mm. I, I, I couldn't do any more." And then he brings over the dessert menu. You know what I mean? Mm. The way we've been taught uh, in the West to to value our food, our meal is, oof, couldn't do anything more. But then you still find an extra compartment. The hadith from Imam Mm. al Qadim alayhi salam, says that the the fountainhead of um, good health is actually in the control of the portions that you eat. I think that's the hadith that Zain Ali is referring to
2: yes and also the mention of stomach the mention of gut and yeah. disease starting within the gut and within the stomach yeah. these kind of concepts and so you mm. ask the, this question of the correlations there is uh 2021 there was this paper by dr fasano who's like a big guy when it comes to gut health and leaky gut and this idea of the fact that you can get a leaky gut and things can fo- go through it and you start creating disease and illness and it the the title of the paper is actually called All Diseases Star in the Brackets Leaky Gut, right? And it, it, it's a really simple paper, by the way. So anyone who's, you know, if you read scientific papers, sometimes it's boring, right? This one is actually just little snippets of different conditions that we suffer from, autoimmune conditions, diabetes, all these different heart conditions. And it shows how the gut is the start point for a lot of these illnesses, so even within some of the ahadith that, you know, we had referenced, and also this one in particular as well we talked about stomach. Um, I think there are some more which talk about th- things like starts in the gut. There's a big parallel between those two. Right? We're talking spiritual Islamic tradition and now the common day science, and we look at the gut microbiome and the leaky gut, and we're thinking about the gut health as the source of, mm. of disease or the start of disease. Um, and actually, to put it into perspective, it makes a lot of sense logically as well. There's two entrance points for anything to enter our body. Mouth, what we eat, and our nose, what we breathe. Yeah, there's the two entrance points into our body. Everything else is kind of covered through skin and everything else. So whatever we take in, breathing-wise, which is another topic altogether, and eating-wise is the start of many of our, of mm. our diseases that, that we have. And I saw that correlation between... Um, some of the ahadith and, and also what we see within or what we t- talk to clients and patients about. Um, so it's really interesting. Even, I think I mentioned it in the book as well, The this, um, this compilation that they say is ahadith, maybe authentic, maybe not authentic, I'm not sure, um, that talk about specific remedies. And the idea, the principal idea, is that food has such a big impact. And we have this term nowadays, this food is medicine. And literally medicine and you can use it as a source of medicine as well ultimately what the pharmaceutical drugs that we have also come from sources of food they've just been processed a little bit to create the mm-hmm. thing that we want we want but ultimately they come from from food sources it's so, so interesting
0: when, when interesting. it comes to like food yeah. and stuff um there, there's so many um things out there like from different cultures right like for example uh haldi turmeric Um, Mm -hmm. or turmeric, however it's pronounced. Um, that's something that like, you know, our peoples have been using, South Asian peoples have been using in their food for a very, very long time, right? Um, been putting on their skin and God knows what. Um, and it's like, it seems like only in the last like 10 years, uh, white people would make you believe that they've just discovered it just now. Um, and that is like a revolutionary cure, uh, cure for everything. Um, but there's so many interesting things, right? Like as in, um, I've recently been taking this supplement. Uh, I don't know if you know, it's called ashwagandha um and uh so I've, I've been a bit stressed out it's been a bit, a bit, a bit busy time and so my father-in-law yeah. recommended me taking ashwagandha and uh-huh. i'm i'm astounded by like the effect it's had on me like i'm, I'm like whoa what like it's actually like a miracle because i was like getting really really stressed out and, and this thing like you know it calms you down it's like a thing for like you know anxiety and stress relief and it just made me think there's, there's so many things out there um, that probably exists in like cultures uh, around the world, um, that we just don't know. Um, it, but you know, like the South Asian diet particularly is a bit of a problem, right? Because, um, I remember I was in, I was in a, I was in a majlis once. Um, and I don't, don't, don't even know who, uh, uh, say John Ali Kazmi is. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: but he, 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 he yeah. <laughs> Jack, he's on a, he's on a, he's, he's on a bit of a spiritual flex, right? And, um, he basically just called out like South Asian cuisine, um, like Desi cuisine, because he was like, look, like other cuisines around the world, they, they have been built upon millennia of nutritional value, right? And eating off the land and stuff. Whereas like South Asian cuisine, because of the Mughal Empire and their fascination with food and just taste, right? They just wanted things to like taste really good they just sent people out and said hey listen man just try coming up with some dishes that was that, that was their that was, that's what that was their contribution to the world right so you've had kings and empires in the past where it's like hey go forth and research the sun and and astrology um, the moguls were like hey listen see what you can do can you make a biryani right and and, and lo and behold a biryani was made Uh, and the rest is history so to speak but basically there was no there was no concept there was no deliberation of like hey let's try and find stuff that's going to be nutritional value it was more like hey what's going to make the the king uh, happy with his meal um and then those you know that's basically what we eat now um there are elements of of you know healthy vegetables in, in in our um Uh, in our in our cuisine but they're like they're they're fried like to give i mean it's like fried the hell out of it the nutrients are all gone by the end of it um just thought that was an interesting you're really
1: right there are there are um locations around the world which have perfected their diets i I read one called the osaka diet I, i don't know if you've come across this i think it was the article that i read suggested that the highest or the longest living average population in the world was a specific uh, group of people from this Osaka area in Japan, one of the islands in Japan. And it was because it was a very fish-based diet, a very natural-based diet. And that's why they are the longest living people on by average in in the world. There's a lot we can learn from these different people. Mm. So
2: these these places are called blue zones, right? Where people live for the yeah, they're called Blue Zones. And and actually, there's an interesting part to that, that it's it's not only like we're going with this spiritual diet, this holistic approach, not only the food, but their lifestyle and their show, social life. There's something really interesting uh, research, which was done on one of these Blue Zones, I believe. And what happened was that they found that um, in a certain year, there wasn't many heart, heart attacks or heart problems above the age of, I think it was 55. I can't get the details complete, but 55, 60. They came back about 10 years later and they found one or two popping up, three or four. They went 10 years after and they saw it was below 55. People were getting heart conditions and they saw that nothing had really changed in terms of diet, in terms of, you know, exercise, etc. But now people had become socially distant mm. from each other. Mm. And they weren't spending time anymore because they were obviously trying to maybe get money and housing and all the rest of it. And that seemed to be the only correlation because this was a longitudinal study, something that was done over a long time.
1: Mm. They
2: found that that was probably the only correlation between them. So it's quite interesting. And it also, they also talk about the fact that these blue zones, the one common theme that everyone can make sure they're 100% certain about is they are very, very plant-based, plant-rich mm in terms of diet yes they beans and stuff right legumes and beans beans. legumes yeah Mm. yeah lots of rainbow colors lots of different types of vegetables as well
0: that's interesting the 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 social Mm. aspect of food is what stands out to me um it matters to me a lot right like I'm i'm a big foodie um but like a big part of like the food experience for me is is the social aspect of it you know, and, and I think it's so powerful. It's such a lovely thing to sit down as a family and eating dinner together, and yeah. even when you go out with friends and you're in a, in a restaurant, it's such a it's such a beautiful, unique thing. And I remember yeah. one particular year um, when I when I was living in South London by myself, and um, I had to like eat on my own, right? And I was like, oh God, this is so depressing. This is like, hmm. I just I, I I wasn't even bothered to eat. There was nights where I was just like, oh, you know, what? I'm not going to eat. Like, I can't. What do you want me to do? Like, sit here, in my one-bedroom studio, like, you know I mean, like, next to my bed, and then go to sleep. Like, that's just nasty. Like, I didn't want to do it. Um, and then I, w- I would go to the restaurant and eat in the restaurant um, just so that there's people around me, man. And they kind of reminded me, like, years later, I learned there's a hadith from – not hadith, sorry. There's a story of how Nabi Ibrahim would, you know, walk miles just to break bread with someone else because he didn't want to kind of eat by himself. Um, I feel like, you know, Ramadan really is like a uh, – it's 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 a it's a blend of these things, right? Like when we t- when we think about Ramadan, we think about the social aspect, we think about the food and the tasty foods and the good foods, right? The the uh, the, the the barakah rich foods, um, and uh, and of course uh, the spirituality. So all these things almost seems like it goes hands in hand in hand, and and I guess that's what we call you know those that nice Ramadan vibe. Um, i wanna i wanna get into a bit more detail about the book um and the origin of this book and and what kind of sparked your involvement in it because you mentioned that the book itself uh was uh, i believe written in arabic uh by Ayatollah Madarasi, uh, Ayatollah Taki Madarasi, um how did how did it kind of evolve into your project
1: so um, Ayatollah Madarasi, um is a well known jurist and uh, commentator of the Qur'an. And he had tried to evolve fiqh in a in, in kind of an incremental way. And what he, no, he tried to do was expand the chapters of fiqh into those that people don't necessarily think about. Normally when we think about fiqh, we think about, you know, tahara or hajj or sawm and things. He decided that he wanted to write a book which dealt with higher aspects of living, ways of living at a higher level. So he wrote this work called Hayatun Tayyibah. Pure Life. And in it it looked at new chapters of fiqh. So for example, the fiqh of healthcare systems. What does the Quran and Ahadith say about how a healthcare system should be created? He looked at other chapters. Mm. For example, how should the um, the courts system be set up in an Islamic system? So one of the chapters was on food and diet, lifestyle around food and diet. So when I was studying this book, this particular chapter of food and diet stood out to me as I felt that it it wasn't being spoken about covered enough in the Islamic context. In the extreme mm. Muslim world, there is a brilliant scholar, uh, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, and I'd listened to him quite a lot, and he's really inspirational. He's very topical on the issue of food and diet. And I was listening to him, and I was really impressed by his you know, his knowledge. So as I was reading this book by Ayatollah Madarasi, I I had the intention to be able to translate it this one chapter, um, so that we can bring it to the, to the um, English speaking world. And Zainali being a a good friend, we would often meet, we would talk. Um, He had a podcast of his own and uh, we kind of, we did a short podcast and what we realized is how much the Islamic traditions are actually mirrored with contemporary science. Mm-hmm. Invited Zainali onto the project, so I translated the work from Arabic. I, I commented on on his work. I told on work um, with a little bit of my own knowledge, and then Zainali's also contributed from a very very spiritual scientific aspect as well.
2: Yeah, it was really exciting as well because it gave me a chance to see some of his work, and then I like, try to. Match the two if possible, or at least make the themes match to some degree. And it was really interesting as I was learning some of the hadith and the Quranic verses, is things were just popping up. Thinking, whoa I know this. We just got taught this. We got. I just studied this. Right? It was really Mm. cool. So it it was a great journey for me as well, just going through the commentary side as I was learning how vast that journey of food is. And that's why I'm talking about it from a very holistic and broad macro perspective because he does the same thing, you know, touches upon the, the different sections of food, the source, mm-hmm. you know, the food mm-hmm. itself, who you sit with, you know, the order of food in Surah al all of this stuff is all mentioned. Um, so it was, it was powerful. I really enjoyed and honored to, to try and put some comments on as, as best as I could.
0: One of the things that like, I'm, I'm getting a sense of from speaking with both of you today is that this book has, and, and the work that you've done whilst obviously putting this book together, it's given you, uh, it seems like a very um, balanced perspective on the concept of food. Like you didn't kind of just come up here and start saying, hey, you need to become vegan or cut out milk or go gluten-free and, you know, these kind of things. Um, it, it, it was a very... Um, it's a very Islamic recommendations that you guys have like kind of spoken about, which is about just that consciousness, right? And it's just like, essentially, that's that's the underlying theme for everything, right? Like, uh, God consciousness in everything, essentially, is, is what will bring us closer to Allah. And, uh, you know, food being such an integral part of our daily lives and daily routines, um, it's 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 advantageous, you know, for for us to like, you know, use this as as a way to uh, remember and thank Allah and, and, and get closer to Him. So thank you so much for like, you know, the the stuff that you've mentioned today. Um, I wanted to know, I mean, well, for the listeners, if there's any particular advice that you would give for iftars and suhoors, whether it's from like a nutritional perspective, whether it's from a, you know, spiritual nutritional perspective, what would you recommend um, our listeners this year for Ramadan when it comes to food time?
2: i can I can add to this potentially, so the things we've all talked about is is really good because we can talk about the tips of sitting with one another, right and the positions you sit in, okay there are some benefits of sitting on the floor, and of course, there are also benefits sitting on the chair as well. The position you sit in is quite important, and also the time that you take to to look at your food and pay attention and be conscious of it is very, is very important. Some nutritional, potential nutritional um, tips. And the I, I like that you mentioned that we stayed on a very broader aspect, not giving specific fads or diets, because ultimately everyone's lifestyles are different and they come from mm-hmm. different places. And that's really important. So these are just generalized nutritional tips, but definitely don't forget to have your suhoor or your morning meal before you start your fast. Um, getting up in that time and having it, especially having a bit more of a protein type uh, heavy approach, is going to be valuable for you to have a good energy throughout the day. You don't really want to be flat out. You know, It's quite important that meal, and I'm sure that there, there, there potentially are hadith that talk about having that meal and paying attention to that meal. So that's that's one. The second is, of course, hydration. It's not only about food, right? It's also about water and the water intake that you have. So whenever you get the chance, um, prior to the meal or at least giving yourself some time you may have heard that you have to give yourself some time before you drink water and if you want the kind of scientific understanding it's because you create this acid in your stomach you don't really want to neutralize it too quickly you to know, allow yourself to digest so giving yourself a little bit of time window we seem to be especially in the south asian community is chai right it's this tea all the time and that's a diuretic it's actually dehydrating in your body so hydration mm. is is a really important tip And of course, then if you become conscious of the food that we're eating, yes, we taste is great. And it's important to also have good taste. But we seem to concentrate. I remember this yoga teacher telling me, you concentrate on the eight centimeters here, and we forget Mm. the 16 centimeters Mm. over here, right? So when we become conscious... You you will start to shift, and you feel better shifting your food, having more fruit and vegetable when you break your uh, your iftar, when you break your fast. Um, you know, taking some pause between food as you're eating your iftar. We tend to just dive in, right? Just give yourself a moment. I know. I think in some cultures, what they do is they start with a very small, maybe a fruit or you know something really small, and they give themselves. About half an hour, an hour window. And I remember trying that. It's really powerful. It makes you feel good. Maybe we are supposed to just have one or a day and some water and give yourself a little bit of time before you actually have your, your full mm. meal. It doesn't have to be an hour, mm. but you know, half an hour, 20 minutes might be a good, good thing to do. So those three, I think uh, um, we can start with general principles ultimately we know what to eat right we vegetables and fruits yeah we know what to eat the hardest part is cooking them or understanding how to make recipes from them right and Mm. if you've always made a recipe of a certain kind it's very difficult to then shift so maybe this is my last tip i'll add one more why not throw some vegetables inside the meals that you already know how to cook you're making Mm. a dal a lentil soup or a lentil thing just throw in a bit of spinach some potato or some peppers you know just add them in to meals you already know. And that makes things a lot easier, right? Yeah, mm. and plan your meals and, and, and you might be able to get a lot more of good stuff in, in your food.
1: I would like to recommend one thing, if I may, that month of Ramadan is about appreciating, one of the things about Shah Ramadan, is about appreciating the the hunger of others. And especially at the moment, we're going through a cost of living crisis. We don't realize just mm. how many people are having to choose between food and heat, or foods that oh. are nutritious and foods that are cheap. Mm. Yeah, so I think we really need to focus on, on, on no, on on not wasting food. And mm. I'll, I'll conclude by quoting one hadith from the book, which I just think is is phenomenal, and it goes to everything that we've been talking about, being, being conscious of food and conscious of others as well when you're eating. The hadith says, yeah. Imam Sadiq alayhi salam narrated to have seen a, uh, a discarded fruit in his house because it wasn't really so ripe. And he actually became mm. angry. He 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 asked the people of the house, he said, what's this? You know. He said, if you're full up and you don't need to eat anymore, you know, if you don't want to eat mm. this, then know that there are plenty of people who are not full. They're not satiated. Feed it to whoever needs it. So the Imam was so particular about ensuring that there was no food wastage in his house that he even represented mm. people in his house and encouraged them to make sure that it reached people who were in need. I think we all know how much we buy, especially in Shah Ramadan thinking that we're going to need it all when we see how much it's actually going to waste. I would humbly like And a real consciousness around uh, food wastage this month, inshallah.
0: That's a big one. That's a really big one. That's a big one. That's a really, really big one. Because, boy, in Ramadan, like, obviously, you know, you've got this sense of, like, wanting to uh, showcase food to your guests, you know? Like, you you don't want to have, like, a half-empty table and stuff, right? Which is understandable. But I stuck for a lot man sometimes Ramad, like buffalo even buffalo more in Ramadan than usual times
1: right earlier here's the buffalo that I eat yeah I think thing showing off
0: there's <laughs> a camel
1: I prepared earlier <laughs> no for sure
0: like it's in it, yeah no, it, it's, it's sad because especially Ramadan like it actually increases you know like the food waste potentially increases and that's that's a bit of a problem so I, I really do thank you for actually bringing that up um in terms of the book, Uh, How can people go about purchasing this book? Uh, Where can they find out more information? So All of that jazz.
1: Here is the book that's actually available, inshallah. Um, So it's available um, in various different bookshops across the continents. So if you're living in um, UK, Europe, you can go to House of Taha. Um, House of Taha stock this book. It's available for uh, order now. If you live in Australia, uh, Shia Books of Australia, if you live in India, it's called uh, JPC, Ja'afari Propagation Center. Um, and if you are in North America, it's IPH, Islamic Publishing House. So all of these different uh, bookshops have copies um, available.
0: We'll leave a link for all of those uh, below. We'll be if, you just, if you can just WhatsApp me, the, the links for Surely. all of these. And then inshallah, we can include that in the description. Guys, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I feel like we could honestly do a part two on this zayn Ali's kind of piqued my interest about the seating positions of eating uh, and he just yeah. kind of left it like so I'm, I'm a bit teased so maybe maybe you can write an article for us on the muslim vibe inshallah and and speak inshallah, about that because that's that's an interesting debate like team floor or team yeah. team chair uh i grew team up on chair. the floor uh but now you know uh now we're, we're sitting on dining tables and I, yeah i, I want to know more about that for sure um thank you guys so much uh i wish you uh, a wonderful Ramadan this year. I hope, inshallah, that your Hajjats come true, that your rightful Hajjats come true. I pray that you and your families all benefit spiritually from this inshallah. month. And, and please keep me in your prayers. Uh, and inshallah, we'll be uh, in touch soon. And I can't wait to uh, receive a copy of this book as well.
2: Inshallah.
0: Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. as alaikum that was our conversation with Zain Ali Panjwani and Sheikh Jafar Ladakh I must admit as a foodie I found that conversation truly fascinating seeing how we can be conscious or being conscious of all the decisions that we make from sourcing the food to cooking it to eating it and then what we do afterwards how all of that collectively can help us uh, attain closeness to Allah and of course in Ramadan uh, that's like you know our primary objective I mean it should be even beyond Ramadan uh, but particularly in Ramadan it's like on the front of our minds which is which is a blessing and so having that conversation has really kind of inspired me to think about the little decisions uh, w- that we have to think about when it comes to uh, our food and inshallah I hope you found that really really beneficial if you did uh, please leave a comment below let me know your feedback um, leave five stars on this uh, podcast a like button if you're watching on YouTube much appreciated Um, and that's it from me today guys i hope you have a wonderful ramadan and uh, we'll catch you on the next
2: podcast baraka lafiq see you next week